movies that I watched uh, when I was dating Jennifer back in 1990 was this classic movie, Pretty Woman. <laughs> Remember this movie? How many of you watched this movie? Okay, all these, uh, it tells your age. <laughs> it is a story of how a rich man fell in love with a prostitute and how this prostitute was showered with his love and much gifts and then this prostitute finally married her uh, Prince Charming. Remember that story? And so interesting, he came in a white convertible for, uh, you know, to, meet, to meet her. It was so romantic, right? Many left the cinema tearing, including myself. It is a touching story. Imagine with me one day, you received an invitation from one of your friends, your primary school friends, okay? And um, that he's going to get married. So on the wedding day, you dressed up yourself to celebrate uh, this wonderful event with the couple and their families. You have known the groom since he was a young boy. And you have no idea who uh, the bride is. You were somewhat surprised when you received the wedding invitation because after so many years, you have not met up with him. But you are excited because of this fine young man. He has just finished seminary. And he has accepted the call to a small church to be their pastor. On the day, you arrive 15 minutes before the service. You stand in line to sign the guest book. You make small talk about the weather. You know, these past few days, the weather very hot. Huh? Something like that. <laughs> and there were comments about how young this couple is. Everyone is happy for them and hope that it will work out for them. That is how all weddings are, right? Then you go into the sanctuary, you find your seat, and then the minister leads out the groom. The groom is a picture of youth and strength. He looks spectacular. His hair is neatly trimmed, like mine. But jet black, <laughs> mine is white a bit. A comb back, and he was decked out from head to toe. He was wearing a jacket, and he has put on too much perfume. He doesn't look like or smell like the young boy you saw growing up. And then here comes the bride. The music is played. The mother of the bride stands and all stand to watch the pure, elegant young woman slowly glide down the center aisle with her father. From a distance, you sense you saw that something is unusual because her wedding, her wedding gown is spattered with mud. It's not a flower, you know. It's mud. And her veil was askew. And she comes closer and you notice that she has a cigarette drooping from her lips. Her lips are painted red. She has too much rouge on her cheeks. As she walks by your aisle, you smell alcohol in her breath. She finally arrives at the front and the groom is smiling, looking at her lovingly. And the two of them stand before the altar to be married. Strange wedding, right? I hope I'll never conduct such a wedding. This is the strangest wedding you have ever experienced. You sit in disbelief as this fine young man marries this woman. 
following the ceremony, you start to inquire about the bride. Who is she? What does this young man see in her? And rumours are circulating. One guest turns and whispers in your ear, I heard she was a drug addict. Another said, she is an alcoholic. And yet another said, I heard she is a prostitute. The words bounce off your mind as you are unable to process them. A prostitute? One on earth? Doesn't this young man know who he's marrying? Why would a young man with a promising pastoral career in ministry marry someone like her? If there's a pastor like that, apply for QBC, will we accept him? Think about it, huh? Then more rumours circulate. I heard that God told him to marry her. What is going on here? You greet the couple with inappropriate questions in your mind, running wild, and then when you go up to them, you held your tongue and you said congratulations. Wishing them well. Then you take the leave, take the leave of the of take leave of the reception and headed home. Friends, you have just witnessed the marriage of Hosea and Gomer. This is indeed a very strange story in the Bible. Too strange for some. Obviously, God telling someone to marry a person of questionable moral character is troubling. This is not the way we think of God or His will. We tend to think of God as having a wonderful plan, a good plan for our lives. Marrying a prostitute would not fall within the bounds of a wonderful plan, especially for a pastor, especially for a young pastor. There are at least two possible interpretations for this marriage as we read it in Hosea. Some scholars see it as allegorical. That means it is just a story. It is an illustration that this marriage never actually happened. It is just a story. They point to the allegorical meanings of the names of the children as evidence that it is an allegory. Yet, there is no allegorical significance in the names of Gomer and Hosea. Nowhere in this passage of Scripture are we given any indication that Hosea should be read as an allegory. The other way, of interpreting Hosea is to accept it as a literal situation. That Hosea really did indeed marry Gomer. And she was, as the Bible describes, an adulterous wife. Hosea married her because God told him to do so. If you want to whitewash the story, Clean it up because it is too messy. Put it in the neat little box. Then by all means, allegorize. By all means, interpret it the way we want. This, I believe, is why so many are tempted to allegorize. Because so many Christians have our own little boxes that we want to keep God in. It doesn't fit into our framework. So, we say that is an allegory. But if you want to follow God, the God who C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia described as the lion, Aslan, 
who is not tame, not safe, but is good, then take the text of God's word as it is. God told Hosea to marry a prostitute and Hosea obeyed. God is not tame. God is not safe. But God is good. He is the king, I tell you. Today we continue with the greatest love story ever told with the prophet Hosea. Let us pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are God. Help us to understand who you are. Help us to understand who we are. And help us understand that your love continues to pursue us even when we are not faithful. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Firstly, I want to share with us Hosea's pursuit of Gomer. What is the name Hosea means? The name Hosea means salvation. He preached in the northern kingdom Israel, which is, called, which is also called Ephraim, during a period of national decline. When Hosea started his, min his ministry, Jeroboam II was king, and it was a time of great prosperity. The, the, yeah, it, the nation was doing well in material terms. But the nation was rotting away inwardly and getting involved with foreign alliances. They were pragmatic. They signed treaties with foreign alliances instead of trusting God to lead and protect them. They intermarried and Israel ended up with idolatry. Worshipping foreign gods, foreign idols brought in by the foreigners instead of Jehovah God. Hosea lived to see Israel taken captive by the Assyrians in 721. So actually he lived to see the punishment. The purpose of this message is to show the unchanging love of God. Hosea was commanded by God to marry a prostitute as a visual illustration to Israel for being unfaithful to God. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2 reads like this. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Gomer went on to bear Hosea three children. After that, left him for other men, prostituting herself, lived with other men, got herself into debt, and got herself to be sold in the slave market. Imagine how Hosea's heart was broken because of the wife's sin. Can you imagine your spouse leaving you after bearing three children for you and becoming a prostitute? It sounds wrong, right? How a pastor cannot say this kind of thing? 
But that is what the Word of God says. Hosea's heart was broken. Gomer, the wife, can break Hosea's heart, but Gomer can't break Hosea's love. We have to understand this. Then God commanded the prophet to go and find his wayward wife. And he discovered her being sold in the slave market. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Hosea. The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another woman, or man, sorry, <laughs> and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her. He redeemed her. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and, a ho uh, and about a homer and a lethic of barley. I then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same towards you. Despite Gomer's adultery through prostitution, Hosea pursued her and restored her to himself. Hosea had to buy his own wife back from the slave market. Can you imagine that? Bring her home and assure her of his forgiveness and love. Why? Two reasons why. Firstly, God commanded him to do so. Secondly, because he loved Gomer. When we say we love our spouse, how much do we love our spouse? That's a question for us to chew on, isn't it? Too many of us love others conditionally. We love others because fill in the blanks. Hosea loved his wife, full stop. Cannot fill in the blanks. Because if he fill in the blanks, all the unpleasant things will come out, right? <laughs> Hosea had every reason to divorce Gomer. Actually, he don't need to divorce. She is already gone. She is already in the slave market. All he had to do was live his own life. She is already gone. But he did all that he could to pursue her back. Gomer can break Hosea's heart, but Gomer can't break Hosea's love. Secondly, God's pursuit of Israel. Hosea's message is to the nation of Israel, exposing their sins and warning them of the coming judgment. But there's also a message of hope for the future. The unique thing about this message that Hosea had to bring to Israel is that he had to lift it himself before he could preach it to the people. As I was preparing this message, this was also true of me. I realized that I'm not that pure after all. I realized that I'm a sinner. Yes, 
my sins have been redeemed. You know, God has redeemed me, my sins are forgiven, but I continue to sin. Who am I kidding? The prophet had to experience deep agony in his own marriage because of the sins of his wife. But all of this was divinely a divinely sent object lesson to him and also to his people. All of this pictured Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord. The nation was married to the Lord and should have remained faithful to Him. Agree? Exodus 34 verse 10 to 17. This passage comes immediately after the second giving of the Ten Commandments. 34 verse 10 of Exodus. Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you, Israel. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hevites and Jebusites. Be careful not to make any treaty with those who live in the land where you are going or they will be a snare among you. This was the commandment that God gave, but they made treaties. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you to be a prostitute and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and their daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Do not make any idols. This was given to Israel after Moses rewrote the two stone tablets of Ten Commandments. Remember, after Moses received the Ten Commandments, he came down from the mountain. And what did he see? He see the nation of Israel worshipping the golden calf. And what happened? He took the two stone tablets and smashed it on the floor. It was a pictorial for the nation of Israel that you have broken the law of God. And now after giving them a second time, rewriting the Ten Commandments, the Lord said this to the nation of Israel. But Israel still lasted after sin, especially the false gods of other nations, and she committed spiritual adultery by forsaking the true God and worshipping the idols of her enemies. Sin always promises you something. Sin always promises us pleasure. Sin promised Israel many pleasures. But Israel discovered there was pain and sorrow as well. And finally, destruction. That is what sin promised us. 
And that is what sin does to us eventually. Like Gomer, Israel would go into slavery and captivity because of her sins. But that is not the end of the story. Just as Hosea sought out his wife and brought her back, the Lord would seek out his people and set them free and restore them to his love and blessing. When you think of the nation of Israel in our present day, you can trace the history of Israel in the names of the three children of Hosea and Gomer. What are their names? Very interesting. Hosea chapter 1, verse 3, reads like this. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diplaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel. This Jezreel is a boy's name. Eh? Because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. What does Jezreel mean? Jezreel means scattered. Referring to the time where God would scatter Israel among the nations. Second child, verse 6. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah which means not loved. Please don't call your children this name. For I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Lo Ruhama means not love, meaning that God will stop loving Israel. That God will lift His mercy from the nation and permit her to suffer for her sins. Then the Lord said to the last one, eh, the third one, call him Lo-Ami. You thought the second name was bad, right? The third one is even worse. Not my people. For you are not my people. And it doesn't stop there. God says, I am not your God. If you look at the present time in God's program, Israel is out of fellowship with the Lord. And His people are not among His people as they once were. Thank God. Thank God that God didn't stop there. In verse 10 to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it reads like this, Yet, the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of God. Children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come out of the land. For great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. There will be a time when God will call Israel my people once again. And He will call Israel my loved one once again. When is that time? When Christ returns and restores the nation and establishes His righteous kingdom. Not yet, but it will come. 
In chapter 3, verse 3 to verse 5 of Hosea, we have a summary of Israel's spiritual condition. Chapter 3, verse 3 says, Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. That means no worship of God. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Here we see that God is still pursuing the nation of Israel with love. But for now, they are living many days without God. But in the last days, they will return and seek the Lord. Adulterous Israel can break God's heart, but adulterous Israel can't break God's love. God's love remains true and unchanging despite Israel's sin and idolatry. Thirdly, what does all this have to do with me? Because it shows us God's pursuit of you. Both Gomer and Israel is an illustration of our sin of spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery is not just the sin of the Old Testament Jews, but it can be a sin of New Testament Christians as well. You know, in churches, we have many sermons on, of love, right? And I believe you like to listen to sermons on love, on God's love, God's grace, God's mercy. But just as of equal importance is sermons on sin. Why do I say that? If we do not preach sin, you do not understand God's love. The more you have been forgiven, the more you will understand God's love. Remember the Gospels? Jesus says, right? One who is forgiven, ten talents. And one who is forgiven, one talent. Who will appreciate God's love more? I hope we understand. We understand that God loves us. But we also must understand that we do not deserve God's love. We are not enough. We are not that good. This past week, I was watching a documentary. I do not know why this past one week, a lot of testimonies about ex-offenders. <laughs> I don't know whether you come across either on TikTok, social media, YouTube, or yeah, wherever, you know. There are a lot of interviews of ex-offenders, you know. And uh, there was this particular interview with an ex-gangster who is now uh, an artist making pots, pottery, pottery, ceramic. And they asked, uh, your friends, where are they now? They say those, um, they, they went to prison, uh, but those uh, who uh, died, died. Uh. But many of them became pastors. I'm not an ex-offender. 
but I'm acquainted and I deeply, deeply aware that I'm a wretched sinner. The more you understand how sinful you are, the more you'll be able to appreciate the love of God. Being broken is a good thing. Being broken allows God to pursue us. Being broken causes us to turn around and go back to God. God continues to pursue His people and cause us to repentance. God says in James chapter 4, verse 4, just in case you think that, wow, Pastor Leonard, you're very harsh. Huh? James 4, 4 says this, read for yourself. You, adulterous people, Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that He jealously longs for the Spirit He has caused to dwell in us? But He gives more grace. That is why the Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come to you. He's pursuing you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail for your sin. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You want to, have, to live a happy life? You want to walk in the centre of God's will? You want to receive God's blessing? God's blessing may not be of this world, but it is out of this world. Then, stop your idolatry, adultery and idolatry. I tried to put the two together. <laughs> it came out wrong, right? Stop your idolatry and adultery. Christians who love the world and live for sin are guilty of holding hands with the devil. You don't belong to the devil. You are the bride of Christ. You are adulterous to your Savior and you break His heart. And Paul warned in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 and 2, I hope you put up with me in a little foolishness. I feel like I'm saying this to you. Yes, put up. Please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealous. With a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband. Who is that one husband? To Christ. So that I might present you as a pure virgin to Him. Friends, as your pastor, this is my duty. I have to preach against sin before I preach God's love. Be humble. Friends, you may feel like a gomer after listening to this sermon. It is alright. It is good that you feel that same way. 
because you are not alone. I feel that same way too. But don't stop there. Turn back to God. Repent of your sin and come back to Him. And God can restore you. We are forgiven because Christ declares it. Not because we are good enough. No one is good enough. We thank God for Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27. This passage, we often hear husbands saying to their wife, right? Today, uh, forget about that, okay? Focus on God. Husband, love your wives and then focus on this. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. As the bride of Christ, we the church can be restored because of the finished work of Christ. Although we are sinners, you have never lived an unloved day in your whole life. I say that again. Although we are sinners, you have never lived an unloved day in your whole life. Why do I say that? Because God loved you before you were born. Because God loved you when you were formed in your mother's womb. Because God loved you the day you were born. God loved you when you sinned. God loved you when you came to Him. God loved you and He continues to love you. His love continues to pursue you. There is not one single day that God doesn't love you. Amen. Amen. God loves you more than the best husband could ever love his wife. He paid for your forgiveness and your freedom. Will you receive that forgiveness and freedom today? Turn back to Him. He's pursuing after you. Are you far away from the Lord? Are you cold? Do you continue to love the world? Humble yourselves before God today. Today, God's love is pursuing you. He wants to redeem you because you belong to Him. Stop your idolatry and return to God. Love Jesus instead of the things of this world. Use things to love people, not use people to love things. Love people. Love Jesus with the things that you have. Stop flirting with the world, holding hands with the devil. You are God's beloved and your story is being written in the greatest love story ever told. Friends, you can break God's heart, but you cannot break God's love. God continues to love you. This is the greatest love story ever told. Let us pray together.